Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. This Sunday's message is entitled, The Infinite Potential in the Church. It's a study in Ephesians 1, 15-23, where the Apostle Paul gives thanks in prayer for the Ephesian church. They might be struggling, they may need to work out issues, however, Paul rejoices knowing that what lies unseen in the church is the power of the risen and reigning Christ. This is a very encouraging passage. Let's come together for worship, pray for the Holy Spirit to help, and to strengthen us for the mission that God has given to us as a church family. Pray, prepare, and let's worship together. Well, I, I want to first of all thank all of you for your prayers. Um, Marianne got home from Bangkok last night uh, about 8.30 after traveling whatever it is, 27 hours. Some of you travel a lot like that. But that's her, uh, well, I guess she's done it twice this year. She was over in Indonesia. But um, she got home well, and she had a great trip, so I hope you get to talk to her and uh, hear what's, um, everything she saw and people she got to be with. Um, last I saw her, she was sound asleep, so, <laughs> so she may show up and be sound asleep in the second service, but, <laughs> um, but thanks for your prayers. I also want you to be praying for our church uh, family. There's been a lot going on. We had a memorial service yesterday for some of Ralph and Molly's family, death in the family, and that was a good opportunity to share Christ and uh, pray together, so keep them in prayer. Matt and Mary uh, Baknachuk are um, on their way to uh, Nebraska, and uh, they may be even listening now. I want them to know that we're praying with them. Matt's 33-year-old brother died unexpectedly this week he's got a wife and two kids and uh, so pray for them as they're going out to grieve and to minister to their families so just uh, pray for special grace there I also want to share with you that one of our young mom one of our um, single moms in the church who's looking after her um, parents and she has a couple kids they have a big yard in Chanhassen and uh, there are a lot of leaves and trees in that yard, and she's looking for help um, getting her yard uh, cleaned up or getting her parents' yard cleaned up. So some of you who um, want to move on that, I want to invite you to do that, or we could do that together and try to get that done before the snow falls, which isn't going to happen until January. So <laughs> we got time. <laughs> in our dreams. <laughs> oh, Christmas, sorry. Yeah, December 24th, sorry. Um, uh, so I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Let's just bow our heads. Uh, we've been singing this, but I'm going to ask you to, once again, pray that God would just work in your heart. Pray that the Word of God would speak to you today. This is an encouraging text of Scripture, and um, Janet was reading. It's a, it's a thick text of Scripture, so that makes me feel like there's something for all of us here today as we walk through it. So just ask God to speak to you as we're studying the Word. Let's pray. Father, we love you. That's why we're here. We want to know you more. Uh, we don't come in into worship, dear God, from easy lives. Um, no matter what it looks like, we're, we're in a world that's broken. Sometimes we carry a heavy burden of grief. Sometimes it's a long journey of recovering from sin or betrayal or trauma. Heavenly Father, sometimes, as Kevin was sharing at the beginning of the service, it's just the day-to-day. 
trying to make ends meet, trying to make sure the kids are okay, um, trying to get through another week that seems to race by, piling and accumulating things. But in all of that, dear God, we just need to see your face. I do pray for the Bachmachucks that you would comfort them and bless them as they go. Pray, Heavenly Father, for a couple of our moms who have lost their babies the last couple months. Uh, you would comfort them today. Thank you for them. Pray, Heavenly Father, um, with thanksgiving and praise for what you're doing in our youth. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the building team and uh, the guidance you're giving there. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are working through our people to the ends of the earth. And so give us a new vision. Give us a fresh vision of your purpose and your power today in Jesus Christ. Help us to go out, dear God, believing that the church really is your primary central instrument for advancing your kingdom in this world. So bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's one of the things I love about being the church, like Friday night in our small group, just one of our families, the Bachnachucks, Mary came over and and uh, attended small group just for a half an hour. They had to pack up, get ready to go. They're headed to Nebraska. And uh, just sitting together and praying as a group for a half an hour was a good reminder to us that we need to fight this battle together. We're in it together. Um, and uh, as a church family, uh, we need to be conscious of our need of one another. And so again, I just want to extend on behalf of the leadership, on behalf of the elders and, and the pastors that we just want to say to you that we want to do everything we can to help you serve and to care for one another and to not go invisible, to be seen. Not easy to do even in a small church, um, but we pray that we can encourage and help one another. Here's the interesting thing about the church. It kind of um, has to, we all need a major recalibration about the church when we come from a culture that constantly holds up kind of social network, social images of success. And most of us realize that it's all image <laughs> a lot of the time, but sometimes our perception is that you can see strength. You can see God's blessing. You can perceive God's blessing by the things that are going well and, uh, and uh, the successes and the, the heroes that kind of rise to the surface. The problem is you read your Bible. And when you read your Bible, it doesn't look that way at all. When you read the Bible, you realize that this story of resurrection power that we've just been singing about is a declaration that God works powerfully in brokenness. So the church kind of has a perpetual experience of brokenness. Constant experience of resurrection going on in our lives. And I think I just want to stop and pause for a moment because if you feel like you're the only broken person, that you are profoundly messed up as opposed to everybody around you, uh, I just need to tell you it's not so. It's not so. Um, the kingdom of God is a kingdom where Christ resurrects his people. And he brings out of brokenness and he brings out of discouragement. He brings out of weakness his strength. 
I want to read you um, a quote from Dane Ortland's book. This is a short book he wrote on 2 Corinthians called Ministry in the New Realm. Listen to what uh, Dane Ortland writes. He's the one that wrote um, Gentle and Lowly, if you've read Gentle and Lowly. He says, in the new realm that was inaugurated when Jesus ascended and the Spirit descended, life and ministry are flipped upside down such that God's strength interlocks not with human strength and sufficiency, but with human weakness and pain. So, so we, we just contemplate that for a moment because it will help you understand Paul's prayer. Because Paul is going to pray in this section that you might know the reality behind the visual reality. That the hope that we have as God's people, the encouragement we have as God's people, is that there is this glorious God who is at work, but he's at work in broken people, in circumstances that declare or express our weakness. And I hope that that's liberating for you. I hope that that's encouraging for you. I hope that, that what this text does for you is it elevates your expectancy that God could work through your life. You know, I just returned from the north. I was up in uh, Weagamau. A lot of brokenness and a lot of beauty. Uh, some of our artwork has begun to come in this week. Some of our artists are writing and as they're taking Ephesians 5 and putting uh, the, the phrase walk in love together. This walk in love is, is a call to live out the gospel. Christ is the example. God has loved us and forgiven us. And so that the inherent truth of the call of Ephesians is here are Jews and Gentiles who have histories of religious conflict and self-righteousness and prejudice being called to be one body. Humanly impossible. Just think of the Middle East. Humanly impossible. Except for Jesus. Except for God. Um, I, want, I want Waterbrook to be a church that comes in and says, man, we're a motley crew. And we're weak. We're not impressive. But somehow in the middle of this, there's an impressive God. Somehow in the middle of this, there's a powerful God who can take a group of people who would never get along, <laughs> never be together, never find it easy to work together, and he will take them in their brokenness and begin to save other people's lives, begin to cause them to treasure Jesus, begin to cause them to grow up. Last year, I remember seeing a video of uh, Eli Manning um, pretending to be a recruit trying out for Penn State University's football team. I don't know how many of you saw that, but Eli had his, you know how they make the masks that look really real? So uh, his, what was his name? It was Chad something. So he, he shows up to try out for Penn State, and here he is. He looks like a, kind of like a, an older recruit from, <laughs> from, they tried to make him look younger. And then, of course, he starts firing the football. You can see all the coaches' eyes light up, right? Here they got this guy who can throw the ball. Little do they know that under the mask is former quarterback for the New York Giants who had won the Super Bowl. <laughs> they think, oh, yeah, and then they find out he's, his eligibility years are well over. <laughs> they discover what's behind it. 
You know, that's in a sense a good picture of the church. Uh, except for we're not wearing masks, I hope, that we're actually showing up as weak and needy. Uh, we're not expected a whole lot, but underneath is infinite potential. Underneath is the power of the resurrected Christ. And as Paul has laid out in the first run-on sentence from 3 to 14, everything we have in God, now he begins to pray, do you get it? Do you understand it? Do you actually believe it? Paul's prayer is that we might see the church from God's perspective and not from our struggling limited perspective. We need to pray that we might be given eyes to see the incredible potential of the church because of its union with Christ. That's crucial. Let me just, again, pause and say this. All of us uh, who have been in the church for any length of time have wounds. Uh, we live in a cynical culture. Culture is cynical about everybody. So we're cynical about the church. We feel like our guard is up. But I, I need to challenge you to pray. That's all I'm asking you to do today. If you, were, if you were to go to Ephesians, this is a good letter on learning how to pray. If you go to Ephesians and say, how should I pray? Look at this last section and pray this prayer over your life. Pray that God would do in your heart what uh, God has done in Paul's life to change your cynicism to hope. You know, in the next chapter, in chapter 2, Paul will say two words, which I really think sum up the whole letter, but God. And we do yabbats. We're all the Fred Flintstones, yabbat, yabbat, yabbadoo, you know. Uh, we have a lot of yabbats in our lives. Yeah, but I'm so messed up. Yeah, but we are so broken. Yeah, but our history is this. But it, the Bible doesn't say yeah, but us. It says but God. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive in Christ Jesus. This prayer at the end of chapter 1 is Paul's but God prayer, that you would know that God is at work in the church for his glory and for our good. So let me break it up a little bit and try to break it down so you can access it and use it to pray but here's the first thing that you, you need to pray for. This is what Paul wants you to pray for. This is what Paul wants me to pray for. The starting point when you pray for Waterbrook Church, when you pray for the church, the starting point is that you would all see God's all, his fingerprints already on the church. Right? We, we, we have a propensity to see what's wrong. The difficulty is when we see what's wrong on the human level, we do not give glory to God what he has done on the spiritual level and the eternal level. And so one of the first shifts that's got to happen in your heart, in my heart, is that we come to worship. We look at the people of God and we give credit where credit is due. This is one of the gifts that God gave the Apostle Paul. He, he's re it's really clear in Corinthians. It's very clear here. The Apostle Paul can see God's fingerprints on the lives of the Ephesian Christians. So listen to what he says here. He begins with thanksgiving. 
For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Again, I want to say this, this needs to be a spiritual discipline. It's not natural to you. It's a spiritual discipline where weekly you've got to say, especially, especially if you're struggling with someone in particular, a fellow Christian, a brother and sister in Christ, they might be in your own house. And as you're struggling with this, you have to practice the spiritual discipline and say, what is the inclination of my heart? This is the beauty of the gospel. Do you realize that God looks on you right now as his child and, and you're probably sitting before God saying, I am so messed up. He delights in you, in Jesus Christ. Not only at that, he's at work in your life if you're a Christian. And as Paul looks at the Ephesians Christians, he stops and he looks at them and he says, I thank God for you because of the fingerprints of God on your life. Even if they're elementary, they're miraculous. There's no one who belongs to God who isn't a miracle. From the moment, the moment they come to faith in Christ, Listen to what he thanks God for. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints. Both of these things, faith and love, are gifts from God. That's what Paul will argue. That's what John will argue. That's what the New Testament argues. If you have faith in God, that's miraculous. If you have a love for the saints in an incredibly cynical and self-righteous, condemning, critical world, jealous, envious, all those things, if you have a love for the saints, people that are different from you, that's not you. That's God. That's his fingerprints. Paul will say this, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. We love it when we do baptisms. We had a lot of baptisms over the summer months, which are great, and we celebrate somebody coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And sometimes when you see the, the new realm of the kingdom of God, this, this happens often in the scriptures, and I think it needs to happen in our lives. There are times when you see somebody who's been a Christian for a long time under circumstances that I don't know what I would do if I was in their shoes. And they're still trusting God. Some of the people, some of the people from North Caribou Lake First Nation, Honestly, I don't know where I would be if I had experienced what they experienced. And when I see a church in the middle of what we would call nowhere, but in the center where God wants them to be, worshiping God and giving thanks after what they've been through, that's a miracle. But that miracle is each of our miracles. Because we come out of the same heritage. We all come from Adam. We come out same world of injustice and sin. Brokenness. And Paul says, when I think that you have faith, I don't say way to go and pat you on the back. I might say that to encourage you. But he says, I get on my knees and I thank God. That's a spiritual discipline. 
We're all different. We all have difficulties. Listen to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let's love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. The ability to love your enemies, to love people that are unlike you, people that have wounded you, those kind of things, that's not natural, that's supernatural. John Stott says every Christian both believes and loves. These are, faith and love, are basic Christian graces. So, you know, one of the things you can do is you could go back and walk through the Gospels. And there are times when Jesus will see someone who's like the least likely person to trust him, to come to him. Sometimes it's a widow. Sometimes it's a prostitute. Sometimes it's a, a Gentile soldier. Listen to this one in Luke 7, 9. Um, when this is when the centurion is coming to Jesus to ask him to heal his servant. And he says, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you not in, even in Israel I have found such faith. Faith is often depicted in our most desperate moments. It doesn't seem heroic, but desperately dependent. We have to see that although people might be struggling, they're clinging to Jesus. That's the faith that Christ commends. You get what I'm saying here? You might be looking at someone and saying, wow, they should be stronger. They should be more mature. They should have it better together. You and I need to stop and realize it's amazing they're in the Lord at all. It's amazing they're part of God's people after all they've been through. So let me just stop and say this. How, how, do, how do I have this? How do I pray this? What should I be doing? Got what I'm saying? This is spiritual discipline. You come in and you start, instead of looking for faults, instead of looking for weaknesses, instead of looking for brokenness, look for the fingerprints of God. Number one, look for the evidences of God's grace before you look for faults and shortcomings. The world is really good at criticizing each other. Just watch politics. You're not exceptionally spiritual because you can see what's wrong with everyone else. Right? Look for evidences of God's grace before you look for faults and shortcomings. Number two, this is important, linger there. Linger over the evidences of God's grace out of gratitude to God for what he's done rather than being impatient with God for the things he has chosen not to change yet. So let me give you a little advice here. If God hasn't changed someone in an area that you think need to be changed, it's probably because there's an area in your life that, <laughs> that he thinks you need to change. Does that make sense? Do you follow that? If you're sitting there thinking, God, why haven't you changed them? It's because you said, I'm not working on them, I'm working on you. So, he, so, so we need to stop and linger. It's not enough to say, oh, yeah, yeah. No, linger over the evidences of faith. Linger over the love that they show towards someone. It'll help you, friends. That's what he's saying. This is a discipline. Thirdly, acknowledge them. That's what Paul's doing here. He's writing them and saying, I have seen your faith and love. You want to make it actually have traction in your heart? Don't just say, hey, I see your faith. I don't know what I would do. Thank you for your example of love. 
And I have this regularly happen with me, but sitting in the doctor's office getting my annual uh, correction for my doctor, uh, physical, and um, I'm sitting there waiting for my blood work to be done, and I watch one of the women from our church going out the door. And so I chased after her and found out why she was there. Remarkable faith under difficult circumstances. We need to not only see it, we not only need to linger over it, but we need to say to someone, I admire your faith by the grace of God. I thank God for what he's doing for you. That's what Paul's doing here. And you can imagine what it was like for him. What he had to face. Thank God both for his grace, the fourth thing, and the pace in sanctification. I don't know if you do this. We're, we find it easier to thank God for his grace. We don't find it easy to thank God for his pace. Except for when he's patient with us. Right? When you look at God and somebody's struggling and working it through and they're just hanging in there, you know, looks like... Thank God that he, um, he doesn't break the bruised reed and he doesn't snuff out the smoldering flax. He blows on it, he's patient with it, and he encourages it. So that's the first thing. We need to kind of see what God is doing and see the fingerprints. Secondly, we need to seek God's perspective for the church. So Paul's discipline, I'm going to call these spiritual disciplines, of seeing God's unrelenting commitment to the church, to his people. So it's not only enough to acknowledge what he's done, but to acknowledge what he has committed himself to do in the lives of his people. Listen to Ephesians 1, 17 to 19. Paul says that I, he said, I don't cease to give thanks for you, verse 16, remembering you in my prayers, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope that he, to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. You hear what Paul's doing there? He's praying for the Ephesians Christians, and he's saying, I'm praying that your eyes would be open. Not just your eyes, eyes, the eyes of your heart. That at the core of your being, in the depths of who you are, you would begin to be able to see what God is doing, what God has purposed, what God has promised in Jesus Christ. That at the core of who you are, spiritually speaking, you are fundamentally amazed and aware that God is unwaveringly committed to his people, to his church. Now, in this text, I want to see you see a couple of things because Paul never uses language accidentally. And the first thing you and I have to see is the names he gives to God in this passage. As he's seeing God at work in the lives of his people, as he's seeing God at work in the church, he makes Trinitarian references to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so listen to what he calls God. First he calls him in this verse, I give Thanks, he said, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. The Father of glory. When he says the Father of glory, 
I put in my notes here, my dad's bigger than your dad. He's the father. But he's not just any father. He's not a human father. He's not a frail father. He's not a faulty father. He's the father of glory. And the father of glory is the a reference to his eternality, but it's also a reference to his power and his ability. There is no father like our father. Listen to Psalm chapter 29, 1 to 3. This is the psalmist ascribing this to God. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The, sh- the voice of the Lord Uh, is full of majesty. So the psalmist, as he's writing that psalm, is probably looking over towards the Mediterranean as a storm comes in from 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 the west and the lightning is cracking, and the trees are breaking, and and the earth is shaking. And he says, that's our God. We are nothing. He is everything, able to do whatever. Paul says, I thank the Father of glory, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, for what I've seen in you. And we start out with, uh, this is this is a shift in our observation skills it's a shift in our awareness it's a shift in our attitude towards the church do you understand that God is at work to do which is Paul will say later in this letter exceedingly and abundantly beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine he's our father who is rescuing his children from the enemy our Father is able to do in and through our lives whatever is pleased. Nothing is too difficult for him. That, do you thank God that nothing is too difficult for him? I hope you think that when you look in the mirror. You need to look at this and believe this when you look at your brother or sister. In Christ, I thank God that the Father of glory. And then he says, the spirit of wisdom He says that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. I love this. So the father of glory, the spirit of wisdom. Think about the spirit of wisdom. You and I can't see what we need to see. We can't believe what we can believe. We can't comprehend. Have you ever been in a situation where you're going, God, what are you doing? 95% of you are in that moment right now. Can't see and can't make sense of it. But the Holy Spirit can come along and he can let you see that in the middle of this weakness in this new realm where power is put together with weakness, that's where God is at work. It's by the Holy Spirit that he reminds us God works in weakness. This power is perfected in brokenness. And so when you see the book of Acts starting out and the church is being built, here you got a bunch of cowards who are all running away at the crucifixion. Now they're courageous. What, what, why are they courageous? Why are they pressing on? It's because, because the Holy Spirit gave them insight into the purpose of God and the power of God at their time. Listen to Acts chapter 4. This is, this is after Peter and James are arrested and beaten and they're brought back 
uh, they're let go and they go back to the believers. It says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voice to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and then he quotes Psalm 2, why do the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord as his anointed one. So as they're thinking about the crucifixion and the resurrection, they go back by the power of the Spirit and read Psalm chapter 2 and says, why is everyone so hostile against us? And God said it a millennium before, that that's what would happen to the Messiah and that's what would happen as he built his church. We would be weak and broken and persecuted, but God was not powerless. His son had been made king. He says, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. God, may your spirit give us eyes to see that in the brokenness and the opposition, you accomplish your kingdom. Do you believe in the difficult places where God has placed you, that God is unrolling, he's fulfilling his purpose of salvation? I mean, that changes the way you get up and face the day. You get up and you go into a circumstance, you go, man, this just looks like a mess, but God works in brokenness. This, this is a hostile environment, but God loves to work here. And notice what he calls Jesus here. He says, now may, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. It, it's, it's not our, our helpless Jesus Christ. It's not our dead Jesus Christ. It's not even just our resurrected Jesus Christ. It's our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord. Aren't you glad for that? Jesus is reigning. And so that, that's what he sees of God, the Trinity. That's what God is. That's who he prays to. Are you praying to that God? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father of glory, so, uh, Spirit of wisdom. The Lord Jesus Christ, is that who you're talking to? You're not talking to powerless. You're not talking to an impotent. You're not talking to someone who can't do anything. You're talking about the triune God who rules all, over, all things for the glory of his name. Now he says, I pray that he might open up the eyes of your heart so that you might know three things. The hope, the riches, he says here. And, sorry, the, the, the hope. Oops, I got the wrong text here. For this reason, he says, I want you to know, have your eyes open that you might know what is the hope to which is called the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and the immeasurable greatness of his power. Those are three things you need to know. First of all, it says, the hope to which he has called you. Hope here does not mean I wish, cross my fingers, may it happen. It is God has called you to be his people and reign with him forever. It's what Christ is guaranteed by his crucifixion and what he is assured by his resurrection. My dear friends, no matter how it looks now, we know the end of the story. 
We know uh, what Revelation says. That on the earthly plane, it looks like chaos. Satan is reigning and doing all kinds of things. But on the heavenly plane, Jesus is unfolding as Lord, the plan of God to bring evil and sin and death to an end. Boy, that gives me hope when I get called to a funeral service like yesterday. I'm gathering with a group of people and I think, can, can God raise the dead? Can God give eternal life? Does this story end in tragedy after tragedy? No, that's not how it ends, friends. We have the hope. This is, may God open up your eyes. May the Spirit give you wisdom. My dear friends, the narrative, as difficult as it is, ends in glory. Luther, when he's, we celebrated the Reformation last week, Luther, when he's fighting the Reformation and it looks awful and threatening with death and he's looking for places to hide in which to live and he, he writes, a mighty fortress is our God. Listen to what he says. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be? Losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Does ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name. Lord of hosts is his name. From age to age the same. He must win the battle. And though the world with devil's fills should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. Can you write that? Is that in, your, is that in any of your journals this last week? We will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. It's not in your journal. Well, maybe you don't keep a journal. It should be in your heart. Waterbrook the Great, encouragement for us is that this kingdom to which we've been called, this eternal kingdom which we are part of, that we're doing a ministry in Victoria, Minnesota, in Carver County, in the southwest metro, Minneapolis, St. Paul, this thing cannot fail. Because he cannot fail. That's our hope. That we might know, listen to this next line, the riches of his inheritance in the saints. This is a big text. I'm just going to say this. This is my take on this text. The riches of his inheritance in the saints. My dear friends, that we ought to look around and realize that there is more power in this motley group of saints that belong to God, that are his chosen people, than you can ever imagine. God, it, and it's not because, of, not because of us, but God has chosen the weak to shame the wise, or the strong, the fool to shame the wise. You need to get up and, and, and look around you and think, look out, Satan. Look out, world. Because this group of people, empowered by the Holy Spirit, are going to turn the world upside down. My wife came back from Bangkok and uh, shared some of what she saw. 85 countries, I think, missionaries came from to celebrate what God had been doing. And you got, or Kale, you got the, there's my wife, that's when she smiles the most. She said she met one of her soulmates uh, on missions over there, was a lady who's directing missions in a Muslim country. And she talked to a, a gentleman who was translating Christian books and putting them on computers and putting them in a part of the world and then afterwards destroying the computers. It's pretty humbling. These are the people that go unnoticed in the world. That's the beauty of it, folks. The beauty of it is if you go unnoticed, you can go anywhere. We're not 
the many, right? We're the few. We're not the mighty. We're the weak. But that's how God works to advance his kingdom. And he says, not only you might know the riches, but it's also what is the measurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Do you understand? We have resurrection power directed towards us as the church. And I just want to point out one thing in this text quickly this morning. There's a lot here, but it says that we might know the power towards us to believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is every name, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And so if you have a doctrine of the resurrection, which you should, the same power that raised Jesus at at, at the cross, after the cross, is the same power that's resurrecting people today. But that Jesus who has that power is not sitting in a tomb in Jerusalem. He's sitting on a throne in heaven. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. That's what he says. And we need to understand the doctrine of the ascension. If you don't have the doctrine of the ascension, you're missing the climatic argument of the book of Acts and most of the New Testament. Jesus is seated on the throne with all power and authority. History is under him. The raising of the dead and the bringing of the nations is under his authority. He isn't sitting there with his hands striped. All authority in heaven and earth, in the spiritual realm, in the physical realm, in the political realm belongs to King Jesus. We don't need political power. We need King Jesus. We don't need public influence. We need a resurrected and reigning king. Do you believe that? Paul says, I want you to know that's what's at work right now in your lives. And finally, look at verse 22. The last thing he prays is that we might see Christ's invasive mission. Guys, I put in my notes here his irresistibly, the irresistibly invasive nature of Jesus. For those of you who are fishermen or sail, sailboaters, uh, the, you, know, you know what zebra mussels are? Every time I go to a lake around here, there's a guy in the summertime who inspects my boat. First thing he says is, when are you going to get a new boat? <laughs> the second thing they're looking at is, do you have any invasive weeds? Do you have any zebra mussels? Do you have anything that won't go to another? Because there's a propensity for these zebra mussels. I grew up in a fishing village in Lake Erie. Zebra mussels took over Lake Erie. Right, you get these invasive species. My dear friends, the most invasive species in the world is nothing like Jesus because Jesus is going to invade every corner of the universe to the praise of his glory. That's what it says. Listen, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This kingdom is going forward because God insists that its glory will be to the ends of the earth and through, through all creation. God insists that his glory will fill your life. God is insisting that every not, tribe, tongue, and nation will know the glory of his name, that the angels in heaven will fall. There's no part in the spiritual realm and there's no part in the earthly realm that will not know that he is king. Can I ask you just a simple question this morning? What was your attitude of the church when you came in the door? Is it this? Would you pray this prayer? Would you take it home today? 
If you don't know what to do for your devotions this week, read and pray this section of Scripture all week long. Pray that God might change your heart towards what he can and will do in the church. Imagine if we actually believe. You think, how can I believe? Because he is the giver of faith, and he can do this. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come to an end of worship today, we commit ourselves to this, that you would show us by your grace and for your glory, Jesus, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together in eternal purpose and absolute unity to bring the most unlikely people in all the corners of the earth to bow the knee to King Jesus. Father, it's so easy for us to see our weaknesses it's far, it's far easier for me to see other people's faults. Help me to see the fingerprints of God, the faithfulness of God, the power of God. Change my attitude. Help me not to be drinking deeply of cultural cynicism, but fill me with the faith and the joy believing that you will do everything you've promised. So we bow our heads and thank you. We worship you. To Jesus be the glory. God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.